Hello and welcome to the second of our professional photo podcasts. As always, it's time to make a brew, relax and turn up the volume as we bring you a fortnightly slice of everything you need to know from the world of professional photography. My name is Matty Graham, I'm contributing editor on the magazine and joining me at the end of the line as always is the main man, Mr Terry Hope, editor of Professional Photo. So, thanks for joining us and if you missed our first podcast and how dare you do that, what can you expect from Terry and myself? Well, as, as always, we're aiming to bring as much variety as possible and we'll always be talking about the latest product news, answering your questions, speaking to the industry's leading players and exploring everything that goes into making a professional picture in today's competitive industry. So, Terry, I know it's been a very busy two weeks for you. I think you're going to tell us something about the magazine. What have you been up to? Yes, very busy indeed, actually. Um, uh, as I think possibly we may have talked about in the last uh, podcast, um, we've gone back into print uh, and so uh, the schedules are slightly different to those for uh, digital magazines, which means I've had uh, slightly less time to put the issue together. Um, but yes, that, that finally went to press uh, yesterday and um, it's been, yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of get back into that kind of hot seat for uh, uh, a printed edition. And we've got some really good stories that I've been working on for the next issue. Um, we've got a piece that uh, commemorates what would have been Bob Carlos Clark's 70th birthday this year. Wow. Which, uh, yes. Yes, it's incredible to think of him, you know, potentially of, uh, of being that age. Um, really interesting because obviously, even all these years on, um, he can still kind of stir things up and, and create emotions on, on both sides. So we tried to be uh, have an honest appraisal and we talked to people who knew him and worked with him. And uh, I think that would be a really interesting piece. And obviously we're showing some of his uh, great pictures and he's on the cover as well. So look out for that. Um, we've also got the, uh, the test of the Nikon uh, D6 going in there. And uh, again, it's been very interesting to get my hands on that. But um, I thought it was also important to talk to the end user because these are these cameras the d5 the d6 they are aimed at such a specific professional high-end audience that it made sense to get a bit of feedback from somebody who's at the sharp end of it and who could actually talk a bit more about some of the uh, the improvements that have uh, come out in the in the d6 and it's interesting you know things you might not think about if you're not in that kind of field uh, so i was talking to uh, clive Clive Mason from Getty Images, and um, yeah, he was he was telling me all about the camera, what he thinks about it, and we've got some unbelievable pictures to go with that as well. So all good. Excellent. Well, don't give too much away. We want people to buy them to buy the magazine oh, yes. and uh, I won't tell read, you read all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I've been, I had two amazing jobs over the last uh, fortnight. One of them I can't tell you too much about because it really is top secret. And in the next podcast, if the dates work out, I'll tell you why and all will become apparent. But the, the, the second job uh, was videoing uh, at the launch of the Honda E, which is uh, Honda's new electric sort of little super mini car. And um, my task was to do some tracking filming. So obviously what that means is uh, a PR from Honda has uh, an SUV. They pop the boot I jump in at the back, strap myself in with a harness, and you drive about the streets filming backwards, which is great fun, 
But I've got to tell you, very, very uh, motion sickness inducing, um, as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, when you're sort of looking the other way and then looking through the viewfinder as well. I was using my C100 Mark II. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, a bit distracting, a bit... I should think. Well, yes, but what is fascinating is watching people's reactions when they see you filming out the back of a car. And it's all very safe. The, the, the tripod, the camera was on a tripod. It was strapped strapped into the car. I was strapped into the car. So nothing could have happened. Uh, but people's reactions, they just point and, and go, you know, what, what's going on there? So that was, that was really good. But um, the first job that I mentioned that I can't talk about just yet was, was based around audio. And I used the same microphone that we're using today. And again, we just need to give a little thank you to uh, Sennheiser uh, for supporting this podcast. We really do appreciate it. And of course, we're recording the podcast using Sennheiser gear. We're using the Sennheiser Mark IV True Condenser Microphone, uh, which I said last uh, last time round. It's, it's an amazing bit of kit, built like a tank, and the sound quality is absolutely amazing. Um, the location that I was recording in was very echoey and um, effectively a factory, basically. Um, but the the microphone did such a great job uh, at keeping you know the audio spot on. So I'll explain more about that uh, in the next podcast. But thank you again to Sennheiser. Uh, I know Terry, you're using the kit as well. I am um, indeed. It, yes. And yeah, this... it's great that they're supporting us, and uh, yeah, we really thank them for that. Absolutely. Now, I'm listening to you through a set of their headphones at this very moment. So uh, the HD25 headphones. And uh, yes, as you say, all round, really, really good kit. Excellent. Well, we've got a lot on today. Should we crack on with the news? Totally. Excellent. So another podcast and another full frame mirrorless camera to discuss. But this time around, it's Nikon's turn to pull the covers off a new product. Following on from the Z6 and Z7 cameras that were launched a while back, Nikon has launched the Z5, which I think is safe to say can best be described as more of an entry-level full-frame mirrorless camera that has an astonishing price tag, uh, yet some very usable features. In, in fact, Harry, I'm going to be a little bit controversial and say that if I was going to buy any of the Z range cameras, I think the Z5 would be the one. Uh, I'll explain why in, in, in a second, but what, what's what's your take on this new camera? It is really interesting. Um, uh, interesting as well that Nikon have actually said that they, they consider it's very much aimed at the enthusiast end of the market, which uh, I would slightly uh, disagree with that. Uh, I suppose the price for a start with a, with a kit lens, it's nearly 2,000 pounds, that's quite expensive. But also, yes. as you say, very well specified. I, I'm particularly intrigued by the fact it has uh, IBIS built in, which I, I think now is becoming such a such a feature that you almost expect to find on a camera. I mean, we, we just looked at, uh, obviously, uh, the Canon launch recently uh, that we talked about in the last podcast with the R5 having up to eight stops of uh, image stabilization. And of course, pretty much every um, every big camera launch now has got that feature on board and of course Nikon have now got that feature inside this camera and I think that's a really important thing. I completely agree and it seems that the Z5, although as you say they've, they've called it an entry level camera, it seems to be the perfect first camera for an aspiring professional because it actually writes a lot of the wrongs that people, you know, 
was sort of niggly about with the said six and said seven. I mean, you mentioned Ibis, and, and you're absolutely right, Harry. I think that is becoming a must-have uh, feature these days. But, you know, also as well, dual SD cards. I mean, that is really important these days, especially for professionals who want to make an instant backup or they want to keep stills on one card and perhaps video footage on the other. It's, it's you know, it's a really important uh, feature. And, and talking of video, the Z5 does film 4K 30p uh, video, albeit 4K at a, a slight crop, so hmm. you should be sort of aware of that. But I think I think most people would be able to sort of live with that crop. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, really... <laughs> There's not much this, this this camera can't do. And as you say, for the price, if you are coming into the professional markets and you, you perhaps want to spend, maybe you've got the money, but you want to spend that money on, on glass rather than on, on the camera body, or perhaps you want to get, buy two bodies at once so you have a backup if you're you know shooting weddings and you feel that you, know, you can't go into battle without a, a second body, then actually I think Nikon might have hit a home run with this. Um, so I'd be really interested to see how it will be received by professionals in the market. Um, I mean, obviously, they've they've got the, the choice of the Z6 and Z7. They've also got the choice of the Z50, which of course is the APS-C uh, sensor uh, version of of those cameras. But it is an absolutely fantastic camera. I took one to Australia in in January. It's so tiny, it's small. Maybe you'd want to have that as your uh, backup camera but they've also introduced firmware now so the Z50 can pick up on you know the animal eye eye detection AF so it's all going on for Nikon at the moment I know they've been slightly under the radar of late but they seem to be coming back with some great products um, and I think it's 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 really good for the industry to see uh, one of the the big two as it were uh, come back into the fore and, and bring some great products. What do you think, Terry? Oh, totally, yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And the, the way they've kind of picked up and run with mirrorless, I think, is uh, is really interesting as well. I've, I've used the Z series cameras, pretty much all of them, and um, they're, they're really good cameras. Uh, they're, they're great to work with, nice to handle, very compact. Of course, this new camera is also full frame, which is uh, which is great, so it really fits into that family very well. And uh, yeah, I, I think they're, you know, they have a really good lineup of, um, of products and uh, I, I've been very impressed with uh, the things they've been coming out with. Excellent. I mean, do you, I've got a question for you, Terry. Do you see this sort of Z5 is almost a blurring of the lines between where consumer products end and professional products begin? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think it's difficult sometimes for uh, manufacturers to kind of position the camera in in, in the, the part of the market that they they really think it should be in i think we saw it with the um uh obviously the uh the, the r6 because we spoke yes. about that last week that that is is being touted as a, again an enthusiast camera and uh, again i would say well maybe but uh, it can certainly do a professional job as well it's that dreadful prosumer word isn't it that, that was made up but um <laughs> it uh it definitely falls in both both camps. I I, I completely accept that um, an enthusiast, a well-heeled one, would would absolutely love that new Nikon camera, and would have a lot of fun with that, and um, and would be able to take that out and produce some wonderful pictures. 
I do think it's actually got enough on board probably to uh, appeal to a, a professional as well, as of course has the R6. So it is this grey area, as you say. Um, I, I imagine it's probably something to do with the fact that the consumer, the hobbyist end of the market, is considerably bigger than the professional end. And so by positioning it there, you've maybe got a bigger audience. But uh, it shouldn't mean that the professional doesn't take a closer look. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, next time we chat on the podcast, of course, I mean, the, the, the elephant in the room is the uh, Sony ES, uh, or A7S 3 which is uh, due to be launched on the 28th of July. So, of course, that will be dominating the, the, the new section next week. But let's leave mirrorless cameras for a second because the next item on the news is that uh, the Pentax released, well, very limited, but a little bit more information about their forthcoming flagship camera, which is going to be an APS-C uh, DSLR. So it's a bit of a strange one, this, um, because I, there's lots of debate about whether DSLRs are, are dying out, mirrorless taking over, uh, and Pentax have said, you know, it, this, the big thing about this camera is that it's going to have an innovative optical viewfinder system. I don't know how exactly they're going to do that, but that's what they've um, said. And they've really doubled down on uh, down on their commitment to, to DSLRs. Uh, and and they, they're not following the, the crowd to, to mirrorless. And this got me thinking about whether you think there's still life left in DSLRs. I drew up a list of, of DSLRs that I think are still worth buying right here, right now in 2020 amid the amid the, the, the panic and lockdown and so all the things that are happening um, so I'm just going to read you through this list and if, if you want to add to it great and you might want to discuss uh, the cameras as well and and first up is uh, a camera close to my heart because I've often used it for landscape it's the Pentax K1 and it makes my list because I think this is quite literally the toughest DSLR on the market I've uh, taken it it's about five six years old now and I've taken it to all sorts of uh, you know wild and wonderful places. We've uh, um, taken it into blizzards. It's always always uh, been all right. Uh, it's thirty six megapixels, which is still a lot of uh, resolution, and it's much cheaper than the other cameras, uh, full frame cameras on on the market. I don't know have you if you, have you tried the P uh, Pentax K one, Terry? I personally haven't. I know all about it. Uh, but I, uh, I've not used that camera, I have to say. But uh, I think if it can, uh, if it can put up with the treatment that you hand out, Matty, then it's obviously very well built indeed. <laughs> well, the next one on the list is a bit something you're probably a bit more familiar with, and it's the Canon 5DSR. And of course, you know, I mean, we sort of forget this camera was even launched because it was over five years ago now. But it is still Canon's highest resolution camera. Uh, it's DSLR, of course, it's uh, dual slots, uh, 51 megapixels, an absolute beast of a camera, but one that was probably sort of slightly overshadowed by the, the, the release of the 5D Mark IV, which came, I think, just a few months after its release. But there's some amazingly, you know, sort of hardly used uh, versions of this on sites like MPB, you know, used camera sites. It's a 50 megapixel camera and it goes for, for ridiculously cheap money. So that's why it's uh, made my list. You got fond memories of this camera? Oh, totally, yes. I completely agree with you on that. Um, I think that is definitely a camera that is uh, something if you're a professional, you need that high resolution. Um, 
then it, it's 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 an unbelievable steal. I, I looked up some prices for uh, secondhand, good condition secondhand 5DSRs, and um, they're going for about oh, £1,350, I think one was. And uh, wow, for that, you know, a, a, uh, for that kind of power and resolution for that sort of money. Um, and, and the good thing these days, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, people like MPB there. Um, the used camera market is just brilliant. It's so much better than it used to be, uh, you know, because you're getting um, you're getting very honest feedback on the condition of the cameras. You're getting guarantees. So uh, if you buy it and it goes wrong or it doesn't turn up in the state you think it should be, you get a refund. And it's taken so much of the fear out of it, which is... Um, you know, if you're if you're going to buy on a an auction site or something, and and yeah, there's all sorts of uh, minefields out there, but you can um, you can now buy secondhand with a lot of confidence, and there are some absolutely remarkable um, buyers out there if you go looking for them. Absolutely. Well, in, indulge me with with, with one more uh, because I've I've got one more on my list, and it's the Sony A992, the Mark II version of it. And bear in mind, this camera was launched back in 2016. It offers 42 megapixels, 5-axis IBIS in body stabilization, 12 frames per second burst rate, and 4K video that you can record to dual storage slots. That is an absolute weapon of a professional camera. And again, an another camera that's sort of, with the rise of mirrorless, has sort of been slightly forgotten, but again, you know, you can get some great examples of it from from used uh, camera dealers. And you know, if you're an aspiring pro, you could be out and on your way with with, with a bargain. Oh, oh, totally. Again, I looked up a, a second-hand price for this camera, and uh, there was a there was a very good example being offered for eight nine nine. So no. you're talking about well under a thousand pounds and a lot of camera for that money, but. I, the other thing is as well that's really kind of boosted this whole used camera market is that uh, technology is moving on all the time. Of course it is. But uh, the cameras now that are a few years old, they're not out of date. They're still capable of doing an absolutely unbelievable job. Those cameras you've just mentioned, all of them would still sit in the hands of a professional and you wouldn't have any fears about using it at all. It's not like they're outdated or, or would kind of hold you back. So oh, absolutely, I think I think that that's one of the problems with um, not the problem as such, but with the rise of mirrorless cameras, there seems to be a new one out every week, and that pushes uh, the you know the sort of older cameras slightly to the edge of the, edge of the market, and in, in, in that professionals will be interested in them. But you're absolutely right. If you if you can live with the camera being a couple of years older than the newest ones on the market, you're going to get an amazing deal. Um, and I think those examples on the list have, have just proved that. Uh, yes, and, and we uh, spoke a little earlier on about um, what's in the next issue of the magazine, and I talked about the D6. Of course, that uh, that's a, a DSLR. And uh, it was interesting to hear the feedback from the professionals about that the kit that they use. And uh, at the moment, you know, what, what they said to me was um, they still consider that the DSLR is miles ahead of mirrorless for their needs. Maybe not other other photographers, maybe not other areas of the business, but for sports and news gatherers, uh, right at the top of the tree, you need absolutely built like a tank kit. Um, they wouldn't they wouldn't touch a mirrorless at the moment. So uh, 
the DSLR is a very long way from being dead. I, I completely agree, although I would add to that that maybe we are approaching a tipping point because in the news this week, um, Associated Press have announced they're equipping their photojournalists um, with uh, Sony cameras. Uh, they're they're going to be sticking loyal to, to, to that brand. Um, so maybe, maybe the sort of news gathering element is becoming um, more about video than about stills. I don't know. I mean, it's maybe that will explain that sort of decision. Um, but right, let's let's. I think we agree that sort of DSLRs have life in them left. Um, but let's go on to the photography show because there's been some announcements uh, this week about that, hasn't there, Terry? They have indeed. Yes, uh, it's it's basically confirming what we already knew, which is that it's going to be a virtual show this year, and. Um, they're just starting to kind of drip through some more details about what's happening, um, going to be happening at the end of September. So I think it's going to be going to be very interesting event because it's uh, this is unknown territory. Uh, obviously, TPS is one of the uh, the key events for uh, people interested in photography, people interested in video, and um, everybody was very very disappointed when it was uh, it had to be it had to be postponed there was no question about that and then it obviously postponed again um when it became obvious that it couldn't be held in september either not as a physical show so um we're now in unknown territory and it'll be really interesting to see what's uh, what what's going to come out of this um it, apparently it's going to be held over um it's going to be held over two days, uh, the 20th and 21st of September. That's a Sunday and Monday. And, uh, and, and it's saying, what they're saying is it's going to take advantage of a specialist virtual platform complete with exhibition halls, theatre and simulated galleries. So we're <laughs> going to have all the big brands there. And um, you're going to be able to talk to experts about the kit they're showing. Um, There'll be a hundred stands, apparently you'll be able to chat to experts, watch kit demos, take advantage of exclusive show discounts, which people obviously absolutely love when they go along there. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of the things that you would hope to be seeing at a, a normal uh, photography show, but obviously it'll be very different. Um, and uh, I don't know, I, obviously I think all of us would prefer the real thing um the real thing's not possible and uh, i think it looks as though they're making a very good effort to just just present the very best show that they can i, I suppose it's a little like us with our digital magazine uh, it just wasn't feasible to do a printed copy so you 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 run with it and you do the most positive job you can um with um what you can do and i think it should be a really interesting experience and it would also open the doors of course to um people who might not physically have been able to get there anyway. So that could be people who are out of the country or it could be people for whom uh, a trip to Birmingham could be a bit bit too far. So um, it has made it a lot more accessible and I'm sure there'll be some really good learning opportunities there. So uh, what we're going to do, our next issue, uh, not the one that's coming out next, but the one after that, which is out at the start of September, We'll have yep. um, we'll have a much more detail about what's going on, and we'll have a proper photo show preview in that issue. So, uh, watch this space, really. Absolutely, and the silver cloud to all this is that you won't get overcharged for your hamburger in the halls. <laughs> uh, no, you you can have your own hamburger sitting there waiting to go. 
<laughs> Great stuff. Okay, well, let's move on to uh, this uh, show's item, and it's about getting into video. Um, and, you know, obviously, we, last podcast, we talked briefly about some of the more technical aspects of moving over into video. Um, and we thought we'd follow this up by putting the focus on why it would be a good business move for professionals. So, Terry, I know you've been looking into this. What do you want to say? Um, I think video is it, it's a, an obvious way for the professional that I think you have to look at it. Um, and we are we are looking at it. We um, we're still a photographic magazine, very much so. Uh, but we're we're kind of recording the the business of being a professional photographer, which these days for most professionals it certainly does include some kind of uh, video activity and I think if you don't if if you don't look at that and you won't get involved then I think you're going to get left behind we're um we're working with the CVP who are who are one of the uh, dedicated uh, filmmaking specialists but what's very interesting about uh, about them well first of all their philosophy they're um, very much equipment agnostic so you're not going to go in there and find that uh, anybody is promoting a particular brand to you. Um, yes. The other thing is, uh, and I sat down with the people who run the uh, who run the uh, business, and they are absolutely categorically not going to try and sell you anything. So it could be uh, a situation where you go in, and you you could spend half an hour or more with one of the experts there just going through the kit you might need for the job you want to do. And that could be into video at any level. And you could just walk out of there, we're not buying anything at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the conversation. And that's fine. Um, I think the thinking being that they want a long-term relationship with, uh, with their customers. Uh, they want there to be some kind of trust and honesty there. And, and they're looking for a long-term customer who will keep coming back to them and, and trust the information they're given. So. They were a perfect partner for us. They, um, they're very keen to talk to photographers who are looking perhaps for the first time at going into video. Um, and I think that's important because a lot, of, um, a lot of professional photographers are incredibly skilled and have an unbelievable amount of knowledge. But video is, is a new area and I think it can be awkward sometimes to kind of look at yourself and, and to realize they're almost kind of a novice in a particular area. And uh, and, and in those kind of circumstances, it can be difficult to go and ask for information. You almost feel embarrassed, uh, as though you should know it if you're a professional. But um, absolutely nobody is going to um, kind of look down on you at all. And uh, even, even the most obvious questions will be answered. No one's going to uh, be surprised at anything you ask. We're working with uh, two experts at CVP, uh, one of whom is uh, Joe Cannon. Who is? Oh, uh, I, bet I can guess which brand he uses. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yes. Talk about a sponsorship de deal in the wings there. <laughs> yeah, uh, two two ends, I should say. <laughs> so uh, slightly <laughs> different spelling. Um, he's a filmmaker who uh, who advises uh, people who come into the store um, about the kit they need, and uh, and uh, someone called Jake Ratcliffe, who again um, he's working with us on our. Um, moving into motion series, uh, which uh, in our next issue we're going to be covering the resolution you should be um, looking to film in if you're shooting video. And uh, again, what is really good, uh, the CVP experts do come from um, a very strong uh, background. So they're they're salespeople. Well, they're not salespeople really. They would say 
they're, they're advisors. They have a separate team that actually are the salespeople. The advisors won't try and sell you anything. They will actually be people who are very experienced, who know what they're talking about. Uh, Jake himself trained and, and got a degree as a photographer and then be, got interested in filmmaking and moved in that direction. So he will have traveled the same the same journey that uh, people coming into the store will have traveled. So yeah, they're very good people. Uh, they know our audience and um, they're, they're very good people for us to be working with. And I think that series is going to be um, really interesting and, and something that all professionals really should be taking a look at. Excellent. Great stuff. Well, I mean, I, I'll add uh, to that that, you know, it is it is great when you when you find um, a dealer that you can trust and you know you can go in and ask questions because you never stop learning. There is always something to learn. Um, I was editing a video before um, we even started this podcast and you, you, we set everything up and I was just I stumbled upon a new way of, of being able to sort of use transitions uh, from scene to scene. And it was, you know, this eureka moment. I thought, wow, why didn't I understand that earlier? And it's always great to sort of learn new stuff. You, you, you never stop learning. So... Um, you know, a great destination if, if that video is your thing. And as you say, Terry, a lot of professionals now, if you're not moving into video and diversifying, you're going to be left behind. So I'll uh, definitely agree with you on that point. Yeah, and, and I actually think it's... Uh, uh, for anyone who's a creative individual who, who loves photography, um, not everybody, but I think a lot of people will find filmmaking a really interesting kind of extension of that and uh, it's it's the same but different I mean it is it is very different when you look at the things you need to know but if you're a creative person and you've got a piece of kit in your hands that can actually supply really high-end video um, I, I can't think of too many creative people who wouldn't want to switch that over and just see what it could do just because they're inquisitive and got an inquiring mind and uh, I, I think it's just natural to see what it can offer you. Excellent. And, and talking of asking questions, of course, every uh, episode, we're going to answer your questions and queries. And um, of course, we put a shout out on the professional photo Twitter feed, which is at pro underscore photo underscore mag. And one of the replies we received this time around was from a gentleman called Ian, who's based in Leicester. And he asked, I want to start selling my images on stock sites, but there's a huge amount of choice uh, out there. Any tips to help me out? And, you know, I think we've touched on stock photography before, Terry. Do you have any advice for Ian? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I think, first of all, you have to look at yourself and see how you feel comfortable. Uh, a lot of stock libraries will want a lot of volume. They will, uh, they will want a lot of work from you. So if you've got a smaller selection of pictures, they, they might not be the right place for you to go. Um, you should be looking at the specialist libraries. So uh, if you... For example, you're a, a wildlife photographer, um, you know, go for a, wild, a specialist wildlife nature uh, library that will understand uh, who you are and what you're offering and will be able to find the audience for that. And, and also take a look at the, um, uh, the uh, money that you will get, the royalties, because that can vary wildly. And um, someone like Alamy, for example, uh, you will get something like 60% of the sale price of that that image that you sell um another one like dreams time for example would be between 25 to 50 percent and 
Yeah, uh, just take a look at it. A lot of these things are negotiable. A lot of them will depend on how many you're selling, how many pictures you're submitting. And, and go into the detail. Just don't kind of randomly send your pictures off. Pretty much all of them will give you uh, a, whole list, a whole list of directives on what they're looking for. They may even tell you what they're selling the most of. So you'll get a bit of a steer on uh, what kind of images to send in and what's selling. So uh, and just look at the trends and uh, try and uh, tailor your work to suit. Excellent. I mean, I'd add to that uh, for, for Ian that really try and keyword your images very carefully. Um, so, for example, the last stock image I sold was a shot of the pier at, where was it? Um, down on the south coast. Uh, not not Brighton, now. Bognor Regis, Hastings. No, I'm going to bring up my Google Maps now and uh, remind myself of where it was. Um, it's where Mark Bauer, the photographer, is based. Um, down south. Oh, well, anyway, I, I digress. But essentially, it was a shot of you know, and one that was I I thought wouldn't do that well actually. Um, but this is the thing about stock photography. You know, newspapers are often in a hurry to get images. They don't have time to um, to commit to commissioning a photographer to go out there and do something. So they do rely on stock photography. And there still is um, a, a good amount of of money to be had out there, I believe. Obviously, you know, it's, it's sort of died up a little bit, uh, dried up a little bit than, than what it was. Uh, but it's still very much... Um, if you're, if you're willing to put in the work and Swanage, that was the uh, word I was looking for. Swanage, oh, Swanage, yeah. yes. Know yes. it well. Um, and as I say, just I didn't think it was that even that great of an image, but it, it went up there because obviously volume works. But I think what was the key to that image being sold was keywording it properly. Mm. Um, so the first thing they would have typed in there was, you know, Swanage Pier and then, you know, sort of professional shot or, you know, sort of midday, the time of uh, day that it was taken. All these key bits of information that describe your image um, quickly and concisely to a photo editor who's, you know, they're always pushed for time and, and uh, have a million and one deadlines that they're trying to hit. So try and make it easy for them. And, and you're absolutely right, Terry, making sure the commission uh, split is there as well. What I'd say as well is, is maybe work with multiple agencies because the days when stock photography was going to be your main stream of income are probably gone. I'd say now it's about supplementing an income with some stock photography. So really hedge your bets, work with multiple um, agencies and run all that alongside perhaps you know, sort of your wedding photography or your videography and you'll find that if you know one month you know things start to go a bit dry with the wedding photography for example fingers crossed you might have saw some stock uh, stock photography that you know makes up the difference really uh, yeah and the other thing i'd say in the in the current digital issue that's out there at the moment of professional photo uh, we talked about stock video clips and of course, they can go hand in hand with stills. Um, yes. Uh, I think a big market is there for if you've shot a situation in stills and motion, because a lot of end users might need both. If they're going to do a commercial or something, they want a piece of footage that will have the same look and feel as the stills. And uh, one can sell the other. So uh, it's very easy to produce um, a video clip on a modern camera these days. You don't actually 
they actually do ask you not to have audio with it so that takes a big uh, a big uh, issue out of the equation and um, yeah I, I think you should have a, a mind to looking at that as well and uh, potentially submitting both excellent well I hope all that advice helps you Ian do let us know how you get on and hopefully you'll get some sales. Um, next question, we've got time for one more. This one comes from Isla, who asks, oh, it's more of, more of a personal question. This, what's the most beautiful place you've taken a, taken a photo? So have you got a location in mind, Terry, that you think this is, this is the, uh, the best location I've been to? Uh, there's a couple. Um, uh, what's interesting, during lockdown, you, um, you've been restricted to only going, well, when it first started off, it was within an hour of... Um, well, you could go within an hour of where you live or you were allowed out for an hour. And um, I live near the North Downs. And so I was exploring places that uh, potentially I hadn't perhaps looked at almost because they're too close to home. And uh, there's some absolutely sensational, beautiful views, uh, which really surprised me how nice it was. So from a personal point of view, and because it meant a lot at that time, um, I would definitely say that was one of the most beautiful places I've photographed. But I also got the chance to go to Iceland with Nikon earlier this year. And, yes. Um, yeah, and, and again, it's funny, I, I don't think you'd say that Iceland was necessarily beautiful in the conventional way. It, it, sensational scenery. I mean, some of the most jaw-dropping, uh, rough, wild scenery I've ever seen. Um, and again, you know, icebergs on black beaches and all kinds of things. Um, incredible place so again I would absolutely put that right up there at one of my top places to uh, take photographs excellent well oh, I'm racking my brains now because you've you've uh, you've put, given some great examples of that uh, so uh, yeah I'll go along the same sort of line so I, I'm uh, as you can tell probably tell from my accent I'm from Northumberland uh, although I now live in Lincolnshire and uh, you know living in Northumberland you're you're spoiled for choice with landscape locations um, Embleton Bay is, is a fantastic one. Craster, I've, I've taken some lovely images there. I think my favourite location from that area, though, is St Mary's Lighthouse, which is a little bit further south, uh, just just outside Northumberland. Um, but thinking further afield, you know, I mean, <laughs> don't want to give the listeners impressions that were, were like Judith Chalmers, but I, I, I was um, in Australia in, in January, and I got to really tick one off my bucket list because I got to photograph the boathouse in Matilda Bay in Perth um, which is you know one of these I guess what's become a very Instagram heavy you know sort of popular honeypot location um, and you know even when I arrived there my, my friend who lives in Perth says well you want to you want to go there it's I mean it's I used to drive there every, past there every day it's nothing special of course when you live there you take it for granted how beautiful these locations are and when we actually rocked up to take the picture I had to stand in line because there was two or three people ahead of me you know uh, rocking up with their smartphones taking a selfie that you know in front of the boathouse um, but I managed to get you know a, a good sort of 20 minutes there with my DSLR um, with the tripod able to get some uh, nice images and in fact Bizarrely enough, one of them I, I printed out during lockdown, and that's now on the wall. Um, I think that's the measure of a great image, is that if you, you know, you might want to share it on, on, on Instagram or Flickr or however you share your images, but to actually 
print it and make a physical copy. I think that is the the hallmark of a great image. Yeah, and it's um, it's going to somewhere that is so popular, but actually managing to come away with something that's uh, personal to yourself and isn't just a replication of the picture that everybody else got. But yes. um, and that's not easy. I I, um, I did a book once, uh, which was the world's top landscape photographers. And I was talking to some uh, very top names who had some absolutely unbelievable pictures. And uh, one of them, he was almost too honest. He said, uh, you see this photograph here? And it was, um, I think it was the sun rising through one of the, um, one of the arches in one of the um, American national parks. And it was oh, yes. absolutely jaw dropping. And uh, he said, what you don't see is either side of me, there's probably about 50 photographers taking that same picture. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, um, you know, sometimes I think you have to try and find something that's personal to you and uh, that means a lot to you and, and do it in your own style. And, um, you know, get something really original out of that, that, uh, you know, and that's, that's what landscape photography is. There's so much about. Excellent. Well, Isla, if, I hope that's given you some inspiration and you didn't list uh, what your favourite uh, photo location was. So get back in touch with us and, and let us know. Well, that does it for our second uh, podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and found some of the information useful. Look out for the next episode in a fortnight's time. And until then, enjoy your photography. Thanks a lot, Terry. Thank you. Thanks, Matty. Bye. <laughs>